Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Yes, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Ken Podcast. I believe it's episode 30, the big 3-0. Um, you know, having three decades worth of podcasts for you, not actually just three times 10. Um, thank you very much. Uh, that is that is my introduction Bring portion. Bring back Mr. Field Tilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a new area for us, I'm joined by my very good friend, Mr. Alexander Moneypenny. How are you, sir? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, yeah, we don't have Mr. Field Tilt today. He's off uh, being a superstar YouTuber. Oh, I've got I've got deals with Sky Sports. Oh, well done. I'm not jealous. What? <laughs> and I am just over here uh, trying to save some kids, but it is not such a big deal. Um, that is your because... job, to be fair. Just let's, let's just clarify that. George George works at a children's hospital. Let's before we before we, before the comments come in. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, that is a that is a great start to the waffle session. But guys, we do have important stuff to talk about, um, and so let's just get right back into it. So. There are a lot of topics we could talk about. The one thing that I wanted to really talk about is getting a little bit more macro. Let's take a step back because on this channel as podcasters, just very normally, it's our job to analyze things, right? It is our job when we see a game to sit there, look at the minute details, ways to improve, critique. This is our job, okay? But generally, every once in a while, we've got to take a step back and kind of maybe blow up the bigger picture to try to see where is this team generally. And I think that taking a step back is something that this entire um, you know discussion around our Arsenal average, have they regressed, needs to happen. Because for as much as we've critiqued ways the team can improve, I have found an insane amount of like uh, critique and questioning and almost uh, downgrading of Arsenal season this year. And that's something I'm not allowed to take from rivals. You know, I can critique my club, but you can't. Um, <laughs> mate, what do you think generally about start to the season, um, keeping in mind that, you know, we were rifling off some stats. We're still unbeaten. We're still top of the group in the Champions League. We have yet to really face uh, a team with our first choice front six. This whole theory that we started the season with, oh my God, Rice, Partey, Odegaard, Jesus, Martinelli, Saka. Guys, they haven't started. So when you're talking about fluidity and you're talking about central access, you're talking about all these problems that this team might have. 
it's very valid on the other hand to admit we haven't had a team to really face those issues quite yet and mm-hmm. so how do you how do you make the start to the season basically for us in general i th- i think s- <sighs> Your reaction to something is based on your expectations, right? And I think, like, the best Buddhist monk will tell you, if you have no expectations of anything, you can never, like, go through pain. If you expect that life is just going to be what it is rather than expecting everything to go right, you can reduce a lot of your suffering. And I think that's kind of applicable to Arsenal in the sense that we've grown such expectations of what this team is going to do, what this team is going to be. We're going to come out of the blocks far. We're going to look exactly as we did last season. Declan Rice is going to take us to a new level we're going to beat Real Madrid in the Champions League final, run home and win the next five Champions Leagues. And listen, I would love that, but that's not reality. It's just not reality. And I think, um, I think as you mentioned, when we take a step back, when we when we just hit pause for a second and stop looking at the macro, sorry, the micro, and begin to look at the macro, when we get out of how can we access central, you know, the central areas, and is this player playing well, and is that player going to be fit for the next game, whatever, which are all important things to say and things that we should discuss and we will discuss. But I think sometimes to, yeah, just to take a step out and go, we're unbeaten in the league. Mm. We're top of our Champions League group. We just had an incredibly difficult away game in the Champions League and won for the first time uh, in Spain away in the Champions League since 2006, I think it was. We're hitting so many milestones, which I think was that on game at the Bernabeu. Mm-hmm. We're hitting so many milestones as a club and a team, and we're hitting such levels that at times, <clears throat> I think the expectations grow to such a point that we almost forget we forget where we are a little bit and uh, can focus too much on on the negative. And that's not to ignore the negative. I just think it's to it's to to contextualize where everything is. And, and I think I think everything that we're seeing at the minute, and maybe the quote quote problems that we're having can be explained by the the end to last season i think really on a a more macro perspective in the sense that when you have a season that blows up in the way it did you have to respond as a coaching team you you can't do the same thing again so you have to look at it and go how do we pace ourselves for the whole season how do we reduce our problems and increase our um our, our strengths now at the minute i think we're doing the first three we're pacing up first two, sorry. We're pacing ourselves much better, I think, in terms of how we're how we're pressing, how we're managing the squad a little bit better, in my opinion, especially with specific players like Zinchenko. And we appear to be managing games and situations a bit better. We are defensively, we've massively improved, I think, off the ball in terms of how we've how we've looked structurally, in terms of how we're having different approaches. We're stopping transition goals. We obviously signed Declan Rice. There's a you know, we look how we held on at Sevilla. I think that that is a, is, a, is a massive plus. It's just that final thing of increasing our strength that hasn't quite happened. But as you mentioned, we've only played with our first front five how many times? And we've also changed that around with Havertz and stuff. And, you know, there, there comes a point where you can't keep saying, well, it's only been eight, nine games or whatever. And that mm-hmm. will come. Um, you know, and, and also we, as many times we've said on this channel, how many times have we said, you know, we think it's this, we think it's that. I think it's the like the coach, the coaching staff. They do know the problem. They're not sat there going, "Oh, the XG is absolutely fine." You know, they're they're, they're mm-hmm. evidently trying to improve it, and they will have their own thoughts on it as well. And we just give our our thoughts. But broadly, just to finish this off, I think yeah, I I feel I feel really positive about us at the minute. I feel really positive, and that that may be at odds with me, me, the way many people feel because our expectations were so high. I think when you can just step back a bit, you just go, "Do you know what?" There was one moment when Martinelli scored where the camera cut to Arteta and he was talking and he was talking about something tactical. And I was like, that's the guy, man. 
That's the guy who's going to get us there because he is process. He's always been from the moment he came into this club, process, 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 and the results will come. And that's what he's doing. And I just think it's it's time as a fan base to take a big collective breath and and let it play out. Look, it's 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 frustrating because I think that when it's that classic case of the Twitter comment, which I think has become, let, let me be clear, a lot of this is social media influenced and also punditry influenced, by the way. Yeah. You know, the likes of Jimmy Carragher and the top pundits describing Arsenal as average is just categorically wrong. So, for example, I'm just going to put up some, some quick stats for everybody. I, of course, made a post, as I do. I like engagement. I like to be argumentative and divisive. But, you know, I, I really took umbrage to the way that fans and everybody are saying that Arsenal are average. Because from the most part, how is it that when you face four of the top six, which, by the way, is the most of the top six games, okay, between Chelsea, United, Tottenham, uh, City even, Arsenal faced the most top six teams. Four. We've garnered eight out of 12, which... I don't think is average, if anything, of those being Man City. We face Chelsea, we face United, we face Tottenham. Okay? Even if you assume that we've beaten the other three and we lose to, Chelsea, to, to City, you're one point off being what you would hope to be in that run. That's not average. That's fine. Um, getting even more so, let's look at the nitty-gritty in terms of everybody's fixtures from last season and these opening nine games. So the exact corresponding fixtures to last season and how are teams doing. Only Tottenham are 11 points greater, which is impressive for them. You can credit put that to, to a side. Yeah. But credit to them. But Liverpool are only three points ahead. Newcastle are only three points ahead. Chelsea are only three points ahead. Arsenal are equal. We have the exact same points from the exact same corresponding fixtures of last season. In fact, Manchester United have four less points and Man City have six less points. If anything, I don't see where the narrative is coming that City have regressed in the same fixtures, having lost six more points than last year. So it's about how you frame the argument. And I think there's going to be people screaming in the microphones, yeah, but City are trouble winners, City are this, they get the benefit of the doubt. Well, I don't buy that because I look at stuff on the pitch where right now Arsenal and City have very similar performing metrics except for areas in the attack. That's something that we can improve on, no problem. But in terms of our defensive record, if I start to analyze and I look at the takeaway from last season, we never really struggled in terms of attacking fluidity with City. That wasn't where we lost the league. Most people generally looked yep. at our goals conceded, our transition moments. That is where we as a collective lost the league. And I think that when you start to fundamentally place more emphasis on one, you're going to inevitably take away from the other. I do this in my own research right now. You know, you look at physical activity in people. And fundamentally, if you sleep during a day, you're going to take away the amount of time that you can perform physical activity. And they're related. It's not just an isolated measure. You can't just look at one aspect of a team or one aspect of something and assume it doesn't take away from another. This is, this is a team game. They're interlinked. And I just think the general consensus is Arsenal haven't looked how I thought we would look. Therefore, mm. we're bad. But the yep. results don't say that. So yeah, there has to be some balance where we need to unify this kind of I guess this want for us to achieve a little bit more central access some attacking fluidity, which is there, and we can talk about them on this pod. But that doesn't mean that we, as podcasters or fans, should then say, well, the team is crap, the results are crap, we're average, we've regressed. Those are very strong words, okay? And I think that we've become something new, something that you don't expect. And the funny thing is, I think these are things that fans were demanding at the end of last season. 
We need to be more resolute in defense. We need to cut out these transition moments. We need to make sure that when we're ahead, we stay ahead. We maintain that control. Those were all things that fans were clamoring for, and we've addressed that and we've done it. Now, we're maybe integrating some people. We also, by the way, haven't had a major signing. Let's not ignore the impact of Yuri and Timber because I firmly believe he is a guaranteed starter in this team. Mm, I've always yep. felt that, and I think that he was very crucial to the way that we wanted these new signings to intermingle and to work. So if ideas had to be pivoted at the start of the season, by the way, with new players, with, in addition, a new team and a new idea, it's inevitable you're going to have teething problems. So I guess in this whole rant, the fundamental thing is I believe that the results haven't made us look average. There's things to improve. But to sit there and say that Arsenal are in a worrisome position after having not clicked at the beginning of the season, despite being top of the league, unbeaten in the league, as well as being top of the group in the Champions League, those are metrics that you need to see. As soon as that stuff starts to slip, and as soon as other metrics start to slip, including our defense, which is tied with best in the league, by the way, mm. If those things start to slip, then no problem. We're going to sit here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about it. We'll mm-hmm. recap. And but, that will be a problem. And that will and be a I, problem. The only thing I want to say, and the only thing I want to add to that, really, because I think it's it's bang on, is I also think we exist in a kind of very outrage-based online take type world at the minute. And I think yeah. actually, actually, if you surveyed a lot of Arsenal fans, you would see you'd see most people pretty content, you know, maybe slightly concerned yeah. with with some of the attacking issues as we are. But I think most people, like, I think it's really hard to take a fan base's pulse from an online, from online fans. I, like, yeah. and, and, and because also the, the people with the loudest voices are often with the the sort of the hottest take. So I don't know. I, I, I just think, I, I think the mainstream online, the mainstream online, sorry, like the mainstream TV and newspapers and all that sort of stuff, in many ways, th- those aren't the ones I'm I'm speaking to. I'm kind mm-hmm. of speaking to those fans who maybe are a bit more online and are kind of kind of kind of panicking. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think realistically, if Jamie Carragher wants the underrated, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, it, I really exactly. don't mind. It yeah. is it is not the end of the world. But guys, let's yeah. move to something a little bit more positive. Well, I don't know, maybe not positive because there's a Jesus injury that we need to talk about. But I I mean, I think we should talk about a broader discussion about his importance to the team and kind of what you see there's a couple things i've got on jesus and i want to spark some questions for you um in terms of the injury i'll be honest from my personal perspective it's not a long-term injury in fact he downplayed it quite a bit um this idea about having a scan the next day is actually extremely positive if there was an issue he wouldn't have a scan for two days later and that's because swelling is too big that they can't uh, let it interfere with the imaging so the fact that they're willing to go to scan the next day means that there's no swelling and it's, it seems innocuous and they're basically just crossing their T's, dotting their I's. Everybody with that feel something will have a scan. Having a scan is an indicative of a big injury. So for me, I don't think it's a long-term injury, but what is Jesus's importance to the team? And I'll ask another question to that. Have you noticed a difference since his injury in terms of his ability to create separation or a burst within the first five yards? There's your bingo, where I've just had some questions I see him very sharp in his turns. I see him very sharp in his actions. That's not what I'm getting at because you even saw it in Sevilla. There's moments where he turns people and releases the pass brilliantly. But in terms of that running power to do that mazy run like he does against Leicester last year, like he did against Sevilla last year, that is still something that I'm yet to really see from him post-injury. Now, mm-hmm. still early. There's still some times. But I'm just noticing I'm not seeing that same trust in his ability to uh, create that kind of 
that momentum where he does take on more than three or four players. What do you think um, is Jesus' importance? And do you think, is there a concern there with the fact that he's limiting his hero ball, quote unquote, mm. runs of late? Mm. Well, <clears throat> I, th- I think specifically on, on the, the, the ability to create separation, possibly. It's not something I've really noticed. I think probably because we haven't had a massive sample size with Jesus. He's not actually been back that long. Um, it's not something I've felt. Um, I, I, I can see that. I mean, the only thing I'd say is like the way he can sort of manipulate his, but it's kind of gazelle-like the way he can move and and change body shape and change direction so quickly. And he's super agile. He's so agile. And I think he, the, his use of his body has always been so impressive to me in the air, in the in the box, in various areas of the pitch. His ability to almost wriggle out spaces, but also run quickly. He's such an athlete. I think that's such an underrated quality about him. But <clears throat> maybe, maybe, because I haven't seen that as much, but, but, but it's possible. I think that the thing that I'd say is we're all very keen to replace... Jesus, or maybe you know, you and I uh, would like to see kind of someone, someone like a Victor Osman come in. We don't actually know whether Arteta is going to do that. We've seen him change strategy before. We've seen him, you know, look for a Manuel Locatelli type and then go for a, a Martin Erdegaard, you know, or whatever. You know, there's been various cases where he's gone for a certain type of target and then moved for a different type of target. And I think Arteta is actually more flexible than maybe people give him credit for. You know, we've seen, we, there's a number of, people say always, you know, well, he, if he's targeting Calvert-Lewin, Isaac, Vlahovic, he's looking for a certain type of number nine, but then he goes and gets Jesus. So I don't know if you spend 50 million or 40, 50 million on someone that you don't see certainly having a massive contribution. And if he continues to contribute at the level he's doing, I wouldn't be so absolutely positive that he's going to go out and spend that 100 million on a Victor Osman or something like that. Because when you look at his numbers, and I think uh, I was on my Twitter a while ago, I might have said this on the podcast, but if I haven't, I will keep talking about the stat. He is the sixth best in the league since 1999 for goals and assists per 90. Like people think this guy, and yes, it's weighted slightly towards assists, <clears throat> but people think this guy's like a, He's great and a great player and he creates a lot of a lot of problems for teams, but his output isn't great. This guy's above like Harry Kane, Ronaldo, Teva, like like massive names in the Premier League canon since 1999 in terms of per 90 uh, goals and assists. So maybe the problem is fitness. <laughs> you know, may, maybe that's the thing we need to return to with Jesus is, is can he keep himself fit to consistently contribute? Because we saw such an uplift with him. I don't know. I... I I think that moment against Sevilla almost summed up Jesus, his time at Arsenal and sort of his time at City. He contributes in the most incredible way five minutes later he's off the pitch. And that's my main concern about Jesus. I've never, I've never, I've been concerned about his finishing, but not about his contribution. I've always felt he will contribute to a game. I'm not worried about that. He might not score and he might miss those chances like he did against Spurs with the James Madison moment where he took the ball off him and put it over the bar. But his contribution will always be there. It's just a question of whether you can rely on that. And maybe that might be the kicker. Arteta might say, actually, you're so important for us. But if you can't stay fit, I don't know about this injury. But, you know, am I convinced that Jesus is going to stay fit for the rest of the season? No. And can you rely on that? Can you go into Champions League semifinals going, are we going to have, you know, hopefully if we're going to be there and, you know, the end of the Premier League season, can we go there? thinking, is Jesus going to be fit? I don't know long-term. 
And I think this is a huge season in terms of keeping himself fit. Because also, and, and last thing as well, with that kind of gazelle agility he has, I think he is more susceptible. It's almost like the Wilshire thing, like where he plays because he's taking so many hits, because he's kind of um, moving the ball in a certain way. He is going to have more opportunities where his ankle is going to turn a certain way and his body is going to turn another way. And I think Jesus with his knees, with his hips, with his thighs, his hamstrings, all those things, I do wonder and I hope he can he can keep himself fit. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've seen explosive athletes be able to be more susceptible to that because those movements are so sharp. You know, yeah. like they they are greater stresses on the body, just you know, yeah, naturally. Yeah. So, so I mean, there is that aspect. I, I do, I do feel like he can stay fit. I think my one question has always been with Jesus, and we talked about it when we talked about scouting, has been this inevitability aura about mm. things. Yeah. And he's always been this facilitator to good play for me, but he's never been the guy to be the superhero cape that's responsible for it. He's always been somebody that's worked excellently and contributes brilliantly to aspects of the game. When you talk about it, he's a coach's dream, right? Like in terms of him off the ball, in terms of him adding himself as a plus one in midfield out wide. The one thing that I'll really highlight about Jesus in terms of his importance to this team is his ability to overload wide. We have nobody, even though we have many striker alternatives that can do it like Jesus. Jesus is somebody that gives us a little of unpredictability, not just in his individual play, but in his movement. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there's nobody that I can insert into the team that allows me to get Martinelli inside or Saka inside. He doesn't have an angle bias left or right. You know, look, mm -hmm. he might prefer certain areas or he might be asked to go to certain areas, but from himself, who can be a touchline right winger and produce at the level Jesus can, as mm -hmm. well as be a facilitative nine in the manner of a Firmino, but as mm -hmm. well be a left wing that's kind of like Saka that can receive ball defeat and then attack. Like who carries that versatility? You know, um, Trissard doesn't even do that. You know, Trissard maybe has another versatility deeper, but I mean, I'm struggling to see a more uniform attacker. Maybe it's just mm. Saka that I see as somebody that could maybe do those things. Yeah. And even he doesn't do it to the level of a Jesus does. Like it's, an, it's in a different way. And so he'll always be so important to this team. The one question that I always have with Jesus is that inevitability factor, mm. because that's something that this team lacks in general. Now, but this is this is the, and sorry to cut you off, but this is the thing, and this is why I I believe, and I know you believe, we want yeah. that inevitability. My, I suppose my my question is more like whether Arteta thinks if I can keep this facilitation fit, can I turn my wingers into those inevitable inevitability guys without having to spend a hundred million? Thanks for checking out the Canon Podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel, or go to patreoncom forward slash Pod. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.